Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Season Addiction. I'm here with a guy a lot of you might know off TikTok. We are here with Chest Thumper Outdoors today. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Hunting season's in. It's in, and we're uh, been sitting out a couple times. Uh, had a coyote run a buck off last night. But other than you that, guys, I was gonna say you guys start in what mid September. We start September twenty fifth. Okay. Is usually when we when we start our season. So. Uh, not quite into that fun time of the year yet, but we're getting there. For sure. Yeah, we don't start till October first here, so I have to wait till you know this upcoming Friday, and then I work, so it won't be the till the weekend till I get out. October first. I know there's a lot of season. There's a lot of states like Kentucky. They open up in the beginning of September. Yeah, I think like September fifth in some of the zones, if I remember right. Yeah, those are the lucky ones that get chances to go out and chase velvet bucks. Yeah, I think it's like Kentucky, Tennessee, and maybe Nebraska are open early enough to get velvet. There's very few states. Yeah, unfortunately, Ohio's not one of them. But yeah, I hear that. <laughs> Illinois's not either. So you've gotten you've gotten quite a few followers on on TikTok. Um, I think it was thought it was like thirty one thousand. As of this morning, it's thirty three thousand four hundred something. Wow. And you, you do a lot of broadhead testing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tends to be my bread and butter on TikTok especially. I do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I've got some hunting videos and stuff like that on my YouTube channel. With TikTok, I kind of reserve for broadhead testing, answering questions, helping people out, that kind of deal. It's more like a, almost like a tech line, I guess, for just broad archery questions and then, of course, broadhead testing. Okay. Now, the... Uh... The question, I, I, I see you post a lot of videos, um, and you, you know people asking you a lot of questions. So I guess I'll just start with, what is the best and worst broadhead you've tested on there? I know you uh, you test uh, with the ballistic gel. Yeah. Uh, you shoot the uh, fence planks. Yeah, that's actually switched over to some thin pressed steel. I ran out of fence planks, and, and uh, lumber prices are a little... A little high right now to be able to be out buying them just to shoot. Yeah, the uh, the uh, out of package sharpness and yep. the uh, edge retention. Yep. I I really like that. I really like that you do that. Not a lot of people test well, that. You know, the big thing for me when I look at my testing, you know, I test broadheads in a way that makes sense to me. Um, and the out of package sharpness is a huge one for me. A sharp broadhead is probably the most important thing followed closely by the durability uh, and then edge retention is probably third as far as you know field point accuracy because with field point or with uh, fixed blade broadheads I shoot I shoot a balloon in my backyard at 37 yards the furthest I can get but I do that as kind of a field point accuracy test but the reality is if your bow is properly tuned and you've got the right arrow set up you should be able to shoot any broadhead you want as long as it's you know the same weight as the field points and Stuff like that. I've never had a quality broadhead not fly well out of any bow I've ever owned. I've owned probably close to fifteen of them. So with the uh, with all the testing and stuff done, what what broadheads are you are you going to be running this year? Yeah, so I get that question a lot, and the answer is I don't have an answer. Um, and the biggest reason why is the vast majority of everything I test is good enough to kill an animal. So I just kind of pick and choose out of out of what I have. Now I'm 
preferably a fixed blade guy. There are some mechanicals that I like a lot, but generally speaking, I'm a fixed blade guy, so I'll carry more fixed blades with me, but I'll take six different broadheads in the wood with, woods with me this year. And as I kill an animal, it'll get swapped out for a different broadhead. So, you know, as of right now, I don't really have a have a for sure roster. I know I know for sure Iron Will will be in there. I know True Blue Broadheads Crossbreed will be in there. I know the Ramcat Diamondback will be in there, but I haven't decided on my other three yet. Okay. I myself, I'm going to be running the uh, NAP Kill Zones this year. I just recently tested those, actually. Yeah, I watched the video on that one. The yep. uh, uh, I've just I've had a lot of lot of luck and a lot of success with those. Um, you know, and something I drive home to a lot of people: my tests are not the end all be all. I don't think it's the definitive information, and I don't think it's the determining factor whether Brian is truly good or bad. Because a prime example, I don't care for Montex because they tend to be dull. A lot of people love them and have had great success with them. And my philosophy is if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, just like I'm not a big kill zone guy because that bolt broke off my testing. That said, you've had great luck with them. I would never in a million years tell you to switch broadheads to anything else if you're doing well with the kill zone. I agree with that. I've, I think uh, broadheads, it's kind of like one of the things that, you know, if you follow a lot of archery pages on Facebook and, and stuff like that, it's, you see a lot of a lot of people posting videos of themselves shooting their bows, right? Yeah. And you know, there, there's always the question of, you know, well, how's my form? Will you critique yeah. my form? And my question to that is, you know, are, archery when it comes to your form, archery in itself, it, it's everybody has the same basic form, right? And my question is always, you know, when someone asks me how their form is, well, how's your shooting? Are you hitting the bullseye every time? Right. You know, if if at forty yeah. if at 40, 40 yards, you know, you're hitting knocks on your arrows, why change your form even in the slightest? Yeah, I mean it's a double edged sword. You know, you can you can get caught a lot of guys just want to improve. So the last question like how's my form? And maybe they're busting knocks at forty but they want to be at sixty. And that's why you'll get a question from somebody that's a pretty professional archer about how's my form because they're looking to improve. But then you run into kind of the same principle with tuning a bow if you tinker too much you're going to hurt yourself rather than help yourself if you get too deep in the weeds you could potentially regress and go backwards versus progress and go forwards so you know the how's my form thing you're, you're spot on there is the same there is a same basic form for everybody a lot of that has to do with bow fitment if your bow fits properly form is pretty simple to pick up you know there's a basic form that everybody should use and there's a basic draw style everybody should use to help protect your body and help set up for proper form. But at the same time, physiologically, everyone is different. You know, injuries matter as well, and that changes the way you can do certain things. So everybody's a little different, and, and you're spot on with that. That's same with broadhead selection, bow selection, arrow selection. I mean, it's all, it's really all about what you are confident and comfortable taking into the woods and knowing that it will do the job. It's not what everybody else says is good. It's what you believe is good, and that's what's most important. Yeah, I'm a uh, I'm a Matthews guy just because that seems to be every time I it comes time to grab a new bow, um, you know I go and every time I, I'll you know have them break out the Bowtex and the Bears and everything and yeah, there's probably a little biased in there with me specifically just because I've 
Matthews always seems to win out to me, but, you know. But again, you know. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to get you off. I was just going to say, you know, don't don't be one of those people where, you know, you see your favorite archer or your favorite hunting guy on TV and, and, you know, he's sitting there, you know, saying Hoyt's the best, Hoyt's the best, or PSE's the best. Go shoot them for yourself. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, again, it's, it's a personal preference thing, and everybody's going to be fit a little different. Like, when I buy a bow, I'm not brand-specific. I've shot Bowtech Expedition, Hoyt, I mean, Bear, I've shot all of, all of them. I currently shoot a Bowtech. But when I buy a bow, first thing I look at is the grip. That grip has to fit me specifically. I don't care how fast it is. I don't care about anything else. That grip has to fit my hand right. And if it doesn't fit my hand right, I don't buy that bow. Period. I mean, it's, you know, so I think as people get deeper into the sport, they'll start to figure out what they like. I ha- I know guys that buy bows based on the draw cycle. And if it's not a smooth draw cycle, they won't buy it. I know guys that buy it based on the back wall. If it doesn't have a solid back wall, they won't. So it's just kind of, it's like you said, spot on. It's just personal preference and go out and find something that works for you if it's not broke don't fix it and really those guys that have a setup that works for them those aren't the people i'm trying to help the guys i'm trying to help are the guys that are going look i've been shooting the rage the last two years i'm not getting pass-throughs you know i maybe lost a deer or two with it what can i do to be better well let's check out your setup first and then we'll run through their setup and i'll i'll critique that and say you could change these few things to stick with rage or if you don't have any confidence in that race broadhead anymore, let's switch you over to maybe a kill zone if you still like that two-blade mechanical. Or if you want to go to a fixed blade, let's check out some options there. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to fix problems that guys are already having, not create problems for them and then fix it. Exactly. Uh, I'm a big fan of your videos. You know, every time I'm scrolling through and I, and I see it, I always take the time to sit and watch it. It's uh. I like how you're doing your testing. I like, you know, especially when incorporating the ballistics gel into it, I like the ability to see that wound channel because I personally like seeing what that broadhead is going to be doing when it's inside that animal. Yeah, and I mean, ballistics gel is a cool touch for that. And one thing with the ballistics gel is not entirely accurate about what it's going to look like inside the animal because... It is more dense than the soft tissue of an animal, but less dense than the hard tissue. So it's kind of a happy medium. So it's not always exactly indicative of what's happening, but it does give you a really solid, consistent test medium to compare broadheads to one another. And it does give you a general idea. And that's really and that's really what it's about. I mean, my testing, I, I say this a million times on TikTok, my testing does not represent animals. My testing represents what one broadhead will do versus another broadhead to help you choose what you feel will be best for you. I like that. I like that about your channel. Uh, you're always very knowledgeable when you're on there talking to people and uh, answering questions. I know you're a fan of the uh, the easy site. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually just this year switched to a, a single pin site on my Matthews. For uh, I switched to the uh, HHA Tetra. I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan of the single pin site just because, you know, I've, I've drawn back on, I've always shot, I'll, st- I'll say this first, I've always shot, you know, the true glow sites or the, the uh, Trophy Ridge multi-pins, and they get the job done. Don't get me wrong. They are, pot, they are you know, tack drivers, but I like having the one single pin to focus on. Um, I feel like, you know, once that adrenaline gets going and you're sitting in that stand and 
you know, you, you get that drawback on a deer. Um, it, to me personally, you know, it gives me less to focus on. Right. Yeah. And before I went to the EZV, I shot a single pin. I had a, a spot hog fast at EXL. Before that I had a HHA optimizer. OL. it was the smallest pin, the 0 0.010. I mean, I shot single pins for years and I like a single pin for exactly the purpose you just stated. One pin to focus on is that set. The big key is making sure your head is in the game enough that you switch your yardage if they're going to be farther out than what you expect. Because I have, I have flubbed that up before and shot under deer. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I like single pin too. And I like multi-pin sites. I shot a Rocky Mountain fixed five pin for a while. You know, I don't, I've done it all. I've shot it all. And, and it's just. It's, again, that personal preference thing we were going back to. I like the easy B-side because I don't have to mess with a rangefinder if I don't want to. You know, it's, it's a quick acquisition. It's just, it works for me. It works really well for me. And that's honestly probably the one thing I get the most hate about on YouTube and TikTok just in general is shooting the easy B. And it kind of cracks me up because it's generally guys that have not given it a try. And, <laughs> you know, you just got to kind of smile and laugh it off at it's not for everybody. It is definitely drastically different than what's out there, but it works for me. And if somebody wants to try it, I'll by all means talk to them about it. And if you're not interested, that's cool too. Yeah. It, it seems one thing I wish we could get rid of in the hunting industry is the, you know, if you don't shoot this, well, you're wrong. Or if you don't do something this certain way, you're wrong. Yeah. And yeah, I just I feel I feel like that's all over you know YouTube and and just in the hunting industry in general. Yeah, and hundred percent is. And the reality is, there's very few things that you can do that are actually wrong. Like if you're out gut shooting deer on purpose, that's that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. Or if you're head shooting deer with archery equipment, that's wrong. You probably shouldn't be doing that either. But to to tell me that I'm wrong because I shoot an easy B, or for me to say that you're wrong because you shoot a kill zone, or for or Matthews, or, you know, like, that's ridiculous. It It's not how it works. You're not wrong for the equipment you choose. But a lot of that is bred from, you know, the TV hunter generation and guys getting paid to, you know, sponsored to sell product. And, I mean, it's just kind of grown from there. And it, then you wrap into a foolish pride and just sometimes people like to argue about stuff. I mean, we get to where we are with the, the you're wrong, I'm wrong thing. It's a tribalism thing. Oh, I, I agree. And one one thing that, you know, if, if there's any young kids who listen to this podcast and they, they want to get into hunting and, and stuff like that, I, I, I touched on it briefly earlier. The, uh, you know, the guys who were sitting there on TV saying, you know, I shoot a Hoyt because of this or I shoot a Matthews because of this. They're, they're sitting there telling you that because they're getting paid to. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know... This is a conversation I've had with many people online about a multitude of things, and it's it's always it's always the case of bringing up, well, so and so doesn't shoot that. Well, if you offer my eighty thousand dollar year contract, so and so would shoot it with a smile on their face. Exactly. Now, I'm not knocking whoever so and so is because that's how they make a living. I mean, realistically, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be a content creator and gross grow my channel and build sponsorships so I can do that for a living. But I'm also very transparent about anything that I would get paid to support, you know, and I won't take a contract from somebody that makes a product that I don't believe is a good one. 
it's I've learned it's increasingly hard for some of those guys to say that when they're already, you know, five years in and they still have to continue to make ends meet. Exactly. It's don't don't be one of those guys that, you know, goes into the, the bow dealer to grab to buy your first bow and you, you do not have to I shoot the Matthews Vertex right now, okay? Mm-hmm. Before that, I had the Matthews Z3, okay? I had that bow for three years before I bought a new one. And the only reason I upgraded from the Z3 to the Vertex uh, was because I had already shot the Vertex at the bow shop, and then I looked on Facebook on one of the uh, Archery Talk pages, and I had just so happened to find somebody who was selling the exact bow with my exact draw length, brand new for 600 bucks. Yep, you got a deal on a bow you liked already, so you picked it up, and I don't blame you in the slightest. That's how I pick up 90% of my gear is secondhand off of social media or another website similar. It's Sorry about the background noise. My son's coming in here to see what we're doing. but oh, You're good, man. I've got dogs running around all over, so I'm sure I have some going on too. It's um, it's just one of those things where if you're not um, if you're not going to you know be willing to put the time and the effort into it, then you know you, I don't think you should you know go into the woods and ready to hunt with a bow that you that you haven't practiced with. No, and I agree. And actually, I get a lot of flack for this too, I guess. But those are generally people I point towards a crossbow if it's legal. You know, if it's legal for them to take a crossbow, those are the people I point towards a crossbow, especially gun hunters that just want to extend their season. Because at least at that point, you're shooting something that's a platform you're comfortable with and you're going to be ethically shooting at animals versus, you know, you pick your bow up once a year, you shoot three arrows and go in the woods. Oh, yeah. So when I, you know, when I shoot a, I just said it, but I shoot a single pin. So one thing I do to practice, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be going into the woods to hunt, I practice, I set my pin at 20 yards, and I practice shooting my target from 15 yards out to 25 yards. Um, that way, you know, if I don't have the chance to adjust my, my dial on the bow, I don't have to worry about uh, screwing up a shot. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. That's I, exactly I, what you should do. I know exactly where to shoot my bow when that pin is at 20 yards with 25, if that deer is at 25 yards. Uh, I even practice out to 30, but I just, I hate to see those kids that, you know, they, they go into their local archery shop and they drop $1,200. And even though I'm a Matthews fan, you know, I'll say this, they go in and they drop a, let's say $1,200 on a brand new Matthews V3. And then they have to have the Matthews stabilizer. They have to have the Matthews uh, integrated rest. They have to have the Matthews quiver. And it's just so much money, in, in my opinion. It's just so much money just because, you know, you saw somebody on, on YouTube that, that shot that same thing. You know, he got that bow for free. Okay, let's. Let's not beat around the bush or kid ourselves. He didn't go spend uh, two grand on a bow. That came in the mail for free to him. 
Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, that's the case. It's going to depend on the size of the channel. But anybody that has a, any kind of significant following, generally speaking, they're getting at least free bows. But at the same time, and this is where we kind of run into stuff. So, like, you gotta you got to pay attention to the type of content being made. Uh, there's a creator, I'll even go ahead and shout him out, it's Average Jack Archery. And I don't know his entire details, but I know he's a hardcore elite guy. And I think he's got to deal with elite. Now, don't quote me on that, because, again, I don't know for sure. But if he does, every bit of information he says is still completely valid. He picks those bows because he liked those bows before he ever had anything with elite. Now, you get a guy that's shooting uh, professional archery circuits. Levi Morgan, prime example. He went from Matthews to elite and then back to Matthews. The reason he went to elite for a year is he got a big fat check. And that's fine. I don't judge him for that. I would do the same thing. You know, I've not owned a Matthews in my life. I don't care for him. Typically, I've not shot one I super like yet. But if Matthews came to me and says, hey, man, I'll give you 80 grand a year and a bow to shoot Matthews, I don't think anybody's going to turn that down, right? Oh, no. I, I know for sure I wouldn't. Exactly. But the difference is transparency. I think I think if I was to take that deal and then go get on my TikTok and go, hey guys, so Matthews are, like Matthews paid me to shoot Matthews now, so I'm shooting Matthews. I think there's a lot of merit to that versus just all of a sudden one day I'm telling everybody how great a Matthews bow is and, you know, selling it. But again, it's, it's just the nature of the beast, I guess. It's just how the industry and the marketing in the industry works. And it's going to be something that I don't expect to change. So I guess the biggest thing for me is if you're going to be one of those guys that wants to follow somebody on YouTube and pick things that, that they like, that's fine. Just understand the reason why they're doing it. You know, sometimes it is because they really think it's a great product. Other times it's because they're being paid to say it's a great product. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Um, but at, like you said, at the end of the day, you know, go to your archery shop, shoot all the options, and just see what's comfortable for you. See what fits best in your hand. That is realistically the best answer to anybody searching for a bow. If you can go to a local shop and just shoot everything you can in your price range and pick what fits you best, you're going to start out heads and tails better than most guys. Because most people buy one at a pawn shop and get into it that way, or... Nowadays, they buy something offline, and they get into it that way, and it may not have been the best option for them. Don't get me wrong. They can still be plenty lethal. They can still do everything they need to do, but it may just not have been the best option. Whereas a shop, you can go and you can shoot everything. You can pick the best option, and you're starting out. Not to mention the knowledge of a shop to fit you properly. I mean, that's priceless. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, my background, I started bow hunting when I was 13 because I saw the Fitzgeralds on TV and thought it looked like fun. So I told my parents I wanted a bow for Christmas. They got me a bow. And then the following six years, I spent all of my free time reading online, researching YouTube videos, watching everything I could, learning how to shoot it properly, set it up properly. I mean, it took me six years to kill my first deer because I just, my first season, I hunted with a prong rest with no sight, shooting a 30-inch draw length at 70 pounds with my fingers. I was 13. I had no business doing any of that. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just part of the process. I missed two deer that year and then decided I need to figure out how to do this right if I'm going to do it. And so I just went into a hardcore, like, learn mode and finally figured it out. And I still learn every day, every year. 
something new, something exciting, something more. But it's it doesn't compare to that those first six years of really trying to figure things out. Yeah, my first bow, uh, my first bow was a Carbon Express, um, white tail. I think it was like white tail adventure. The thing was as long as I was, you know, it, it had no pulley system or it had no cam system, uh, and I can't remember if it had a whisker biscuit or if it had the two prong drop away on it, but. You know, it it was heavy. I liked that it was heavy. It was either easier to hold on. Uh, it was easier to hold on target, I guess. But um, my first deer with a bow, uh, I, it's a miracle that I even shot this deer. My first deer with a bow, I had a bunch of does come in on my left. Just as the farmer was taking corn off about... 60 to 80 yards in front of me well the the first doe that came in she was small but i i came to full draw on her settled the pin you know where it should have been and just as the uh just as i was about to hit my trigger the tractor backfired and it caused that deer to jump and move somehow moved her her hind end to where my pin was right behind her shoulder. And, uh, that arrow actually ended up going and hitting her on the tail and in inside the body cavity and, and ended up hitting those, those main arteries that, uh, that run right there along the spine. Yep. And she didn't go, she didn't go 10 yards. I mean, she, she fell over. That oh yeah. Like that. There's a, there's a main artery that runs underneath the spine that is absolutely devastating if you hit it. Not something I would necessarily recommend people aim for, but in your circumstance, it worked out extremely well. Oh, yeah, and, and there there was some deer fever there. You know, I, I'll sure. admit, I was 14, 15 years old, and trying to take a deer with a bow for the first time, it was it was interesting, but uh, it just I, I tell that story a lot, and a lot of people don't believe me, and I tell them, you know, you can believe what you want. You know, I've got the pictures and, and stuff like that to prove it, but it's just... That was definitely the uh, the weirdest deer kill I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we all have weird stories like that in the woods. It's just, it's part of it. That's why it's so fun, though, man. The adventure aspect of you just never know what's going to happen every time you go sit in a stand or every time you go sit in the grass or just get out and hunt. You just don't know. And, that, <clears throat> and that's part of what makes what we do so awesome. I mean, I can't imagine living a life where I didn't hunt. I don't think I would want to live that life. So, you know, it's something I'm super thankful for. I agree. And that, and that's, uh, that's one of the reasons, you know, I named this, the show hunting season addiction is even, you know, if you're having a down day or you're just having a real bad time, you know, I always get excited for deer season. Yep. You know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's a big, it's a big thing in my life. And, you know, whether it be turkey or deer or black bear, you know, it's it's something that it gives you to look forward to. You know, it, they say you can't kill them on the couch. I, I believe that to a point. Um, the biggest deer I've ever seen it, it was on a day that no deer should have even been out of the corn. But, but yeah. for whatever reason, you know, he was he was working his way towards me. 
and ended up winding me because, you know, the wind was absolutely horrible for that sand. But it just, it goes to show, you know, it's like you said, anything can happen. Anything at any time when you're sitting in the tree stand can happen and it only takes a second. That's a fact. For you to go from, you know, the worst deer hunter in the world to that kid who just shot what could have been the next world record deer. You know? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the reality of the situation. I mean, you can have just the most knockdown, drag out season where everything's gone wrong, and all it takes it takes three seconds, and everything can change. Everything. So, and that's again part of the excitement, and part of the draw is just the the adventure aspect of not knowing what comes next. Exactly. It's, it gives everybody everybody who follows this channel, I believe, anyway, or, or follows your channel something to look forward to every year you know it's they say deer hunting you know if you're really into it it's a year-round thing food plots trail cameras prepping your you know prepping your stands i mean practicing with your bow it's an all-year thing but at least you know in my family and around here september 25th opening day of deer season is a uh, it's a holiday it could be pouring down rain, but I can promise you, I know quite a few people who will be sitting in the deer stand. Yeah, that's how October 1st is. It's not as much around where I live, but especially you get to Southern Illinois October 1st, and they close schools down for October 1st. So. That's that's pretty big deal. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty heavily celebrated down there, especially, but. It's, you're spot on. I mean, it's that one time of year that you just know everything's going to be good. Absolutely. How's your deer season looking so far? You got, uh, you got... This is the least prepared I have ever been for deer season in my entire life because I have had so much other things going on. Usually I spend 80 to 100 days a year scouting, and then when deer season, for the last two years, I've not spent any less than 70 days hunting. And, uh, this year, this year, it's not going to look that way. I went, I went and got myself a, a full-time plus job so I could continue to grow my channel uh, because the monetary exchange from TikTok and YouTube wasn't enough to satiate me. So I went and got a big boy job and <laughs> we're doing, and then doing that now. So it's going to cut into my deer season pretty significantly, but the way I look at it, it's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain to be able to grow into a place where I can do, you know, what I love full-time and help people increase their odds in the wood full-time and just keep what I'm doing going. So I am, again, woefully underprepared. I've done, oh, probably five days worth of scouting this year, maybe three days worth of scouting. My bow and stuff's good. I mean, I shoot enough with it all year long that I don't have to worry about any of that. I killed a hog in Oklahoma at the end of August, so I know it'll definitely kill stuff, too. It's yeah. just, uh, locally, I've, I've not done anything, but I hunt only public land, too, so I carry, you know, I saddle hunt. I carry all my stuff in and out with me every time, so I don't have to worry about cutting stands or putting up stands. I can't cut shooting lanes at all. It's illegal here, so I don't have to worry about any of that, so... I think this year's going to be a lot of just going back to places that historically I've had success in the past and uh, trying to pick the best days to do that. How is saddle hunting? That's something I've been looking into recently, getting away from that clunky, you know, climbing stand. And I will never go back to a tree stand. Really? Ever. No. For me, 
the weight savings alone makes it worth it. I mean, the saddle, my saddle fully loaded up is probably three and a half pounds. The platform is probably three and a half to five. And I've probably got, I've got some pretty high-end sticks that are lightweight. So I've probably got, oh, I don't know, six pounds and four sticks maybe. Maybe a little more than that. So my total setup's like 12 pounds versus the stand that I was using before that by itself was 12 pounds. Really? Yeah, so the weight savings are huge. Another big thing is I can get up in a lot of trees I couldn't with the stand. So, like last year, the second deer, third, sorry, the third deer I killed last year was out of a tree that was, oh, I'd say probably 15 foot tall total. I got up in it all of six and a half foot off the ground, but it was enough to hide me and, and make me, you know, be able to get in a spot that no other hunter is getting into, which is key because those deer, by the time I killed that deer, it, you know, they know where the hunters normally are and they know how to avoid that area. They know what to do, when to do when to go around it and stuff like that. I'm so convinced of that on public land that they get so accustomed to where people normally hang stands that they know to avoid the areas. So it gave me a, an ability to ambush a deer in a place it wasn't expecting. Um, and just, to me, they're comfortable. I can lean or sit. I can move a little bit if I need to. I can get all the way around the tree. I mean, in my mind, there's just, I don't think there's a better option. Now, some people hate them. Some people don't want to deal with all of it. And again, we're going back to that. You kind of pick what you like and stick with it deal. But for me, it's going to be saddle hunting from now on. I've been looking into getting one. I haven't narrowed down exactly which one I think I'm going to go with yet. Um, being a bigger boy, I'd like to find one that's, you know, comfortable for us big boys. Cruiser. C-R-U-Z-R. Cruiser makes a saddle that I know a lot of bigger guys are super happy with. So that may be something to look into for you if, if you're going to go that direction. I don't know pricing or anything off the top of my head. I just know I've got several friends that are in the saddle hunting that I've met online. A handful of them are, are big boys, and they all seem to really like those cruisers, say they're super comfortable. I will definitely look into that. Do they sell them like in a package where you get everything you need, or what, is it one of those things where you have to buy the saddle and then buy the platform and so on? I don't. I don't know if Cruiser sells everything in a package. If they sell packages, it's probably going to be the saddle and the ropes. I don't know if they have a platform or not yet. Uh, but if they do, I'm sure most saddle companies, if they have all of that stuff, will sell package options. And then you just have to add in your own sticks. Like, Tethered is the big company that everybody knows when it comes to saddle hunting. And they have a package that's literally your saddle, all your linemen, and your tether. So both the ropes you need. And those ropes are already set up with your carabiners and everything like that. <clears throat> then they have a back band, which kind of acts like like a backrest in your saddle. Then, of course, the saddle and all the stuff you need with that. Then a carrying pouch for the ropes and a platform, and it's, like, all there. You just have to click on it, add it to your cart, and you're good to go. And I would assume most companies are going to have some setup like that for where you can buy their, their saddle and all their accessories. But I've honestly not dug into it all too deeply to know i've only used a couple saddles i'll definitely look into that for sure man i think at minimum it's kind of like it's kind of the way i look at easy i think at minimum everybody should at least give it a fair shake and i think it's at least a good tool to have in your arsenal if it's not something you pick every time 
Yeah. I, I would use it. I have a couple private land spots, but I would use it mainly for uh, public land hunting. I, I like to keep my private land spots, you know, kind, kind of untouched up until things start to get good, up until right. we get that first real good frost of the year. Yep, totally understand that. I, that's something. Matter of fact, I just had a guy on TikTok messaging me, and he's like, "Hey, man, you know, how do you get how do you get big bucks in front of you and on camera?" He's like, "I got permission to hunt this place, and I had a big buck last year, but you know, I haven't seen him this year or anything." And I was like, "Dude, you kind of just need to leave it alone. Like, if you if you got the inch to hunt, go hunt some public land and just leave that area alone until you get the right day. Like, you have to get the right wind, preferably with the cold front moving through, like." That's when you go in and check those areas out, especially small plots. You know, I, in the past, I've killed deer off six acres, and that's, I mean, that's nothing. And it's just a case of, you know, picking the right day to go in where you've got the good wind and preferably on a cold front, and you think the stuff's going to be moving through. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and call it right here, man. Um, little man's starting to get, starting to get rambunctious. So, sure. uh, you got anything you want to say anybody to uh, everybody listening? Yeah, um, I'm going to just plug myself real quick. If anybody wants to check out anything, it's just Chest Thumper Outdoors. That's on TikTok, that's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all those places. You know, So, if you guys want to check that out and, and like and subscribe and follow and all that good stuff, it's greatly appreciated and it definitely does help me. And uh, I want to say thank you to you, Christian, for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. And I sure we will do more talking about deer season and stuff like that both on and off the podcast in the future absolutely man we sure will and uh i have started a tiktok and an instagram for the podcast as well so if you want to check out pictures of uh people who have been on the podcast you know with their with their deer or or with their trophy pictures stuff that tiktok won't let me post you know all the good stuff yeah um I've got quite a few people lined up. I've got a uh, a friend of the family. We call him Trapper John. He's been trapping animals for 50-something years now. Um, uh, I got Rick from Cast Cray Outdoors. He's going to be on talking about his, his waterfowl company and his uh, fishing bait company. So we have a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about, guys. So if you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. And uh, remember, sit still, shoot straight. And we'll see you on the next one. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Hunting Season Addiction. First of all, I just want to start out by apologizing to everybody that listens to this channel. Um, I did not do any episodes throughout all of hunting season. Um, I I was having some some personal issues. And my mental health was just not, was not in the right spot to go ahead and, and feel like I was able to get on here and, and talk and share all the information that I wanted to. So, um, that being said, I had an amazing, amazing hunting season. Um, this is or was one of the best hunting seasons I have ever had personally. Um, Ohio is a six deer state total, and I ended up with four. I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, 
deer season wise i i was able to fill my antler tag and i was able to get three antlerless deer between two different counties so that was uh that was really really big thing for me i i push myself a lot when it comes to deer season um my family you know we eat we do eat a lot of deer meat and the more i am able to put in the freezer you know that's to me that's money saved in the long run um outside of deer season spring turkey was awesome ended up uh ended up getting a bird just a jake very very weird turkey season this past year um I did not hear a single gobble personally and there's been a couple people I talked to who said the same thing um you know some that heard gobbles some heard gobbles right on the roost and as soon as those birds flew down they shut up so it was definitely a a weird turkey season but I did manage to uh, punch one turkey tag and I've I was pretty happy with that um, I didn't even see a, a long beard last year so I could have gone in there were a couple jakes running around after I shot that first one and I feel like maybe yeah I could have gone back in and taken another one but let them grow you know and we'll have long beards for the next season. Um, I do know that here in the state of Ohio, if you are turkey hunting here in the state of Ohio, make sure you read your regulations because it is changed for the 2022 wild turkey spring season. You are now only allowed one gobbler per hunter. That is statewide. So... Ohio was a two-bird state last year, and many, many years before that, it was a two-bird state. Um, I've heard a lot of things that have been blamed for the downsize and the amounts of turkey you're allowed to take from um, predator control. Uh, that's been a big one I've heard, you know, and I, that's one that I can actually... I can really see and, and get behind because coyotes are, at least on the properties that I hunt, coyotes are everywhere, and it is it is getting crazy. Um, I have plans with my good buddy Jay, who has been in previous episodes, so go ahead and check that, go back and check those out. A lot of good ballistics information out of that man. He is a very, very smart individual when it comes to all things bullets and the bullets you need to knock down anything in the lower 48 he can help you out so go back and listen to those episodes but back on to turkeys um you know those those animals that used to be controlled through the fur trade the coyotes the raccoons you know not not so much possums um but those are the three big predators here in Ohio, at least, 
that I personally believe are causing so many problems for the turkey populations. There are not near as many people who go out and hunt those animals anymore just for the sole fact that you know, it's kind of a worthless worthless thing. I mean, it's not worth it to a lot of people anymore to get out there on those cold, you know, January, February nights and chase coyotes. Um, or getting out there and running coon dogs, you know. Chasing out those predators that are going in in the spring and they're killing the poult and they're killing all these young birds and robbing the nest. I just know that from what I've seen, there is a huge decline in the turkey population. Um, my stepbrother, Jeremy, uh, that man, I he could find a turkey if it was the only one in the state, but he's even been, from what I have heard and from what he's told me, he's even having trouble getting on birds. Um, if they're not there, they're not there, and hopefully that changes this season um a lot of people don't agree with the going to the one bird but in my opinion you know as as outdoorsmen and uh conservationists that is our job is to make sure that there are animals to hunt for years to come and for generations to come so if right now we have to drop down the number of birds that we can take from two to one, then by all means, I, that that's something that I personally agree with. So I've heard, I've also heard, and I've also seen. You know there are a lot of hens. Um. It didn't happen to me personally last year, but it has in years past. Where that that bird, he's up on you know he's up on the limb, he's up in the roost, and he's just he's gobbling his full head off. He doesn't stop, and he just goes and goes and goes. But as soon as he flies down, he's already with ten plus hens. And here in the state of Ohio, you can only hunt until noon for the first half of the season half to maybe three quarters if I remember correctly so it can get a little difficult in the early season tur uh, chasing turkey here in Ohio um, I do have plans however as a lot of you may remember from previous episodes I did go on a Pennsylvania bear hunt and I will talk about that here in a bit but when you purchase an out-of-state bear tag and hunting license for the state of Pennsylvania they throw in quite a few other tags as freebies so for instance I got a spring turkey tag along with my bear tag I also believe I got a flintlock deer tag and I want to say a couple other tags. It was a whole laundry list of tags that, that I got with that. But I am in the process of attempting to put together a little do-it-yourself 
public ground wild turkey hunt in Pennsylvania. Um, we may be roughing it in the tent. Or if uh, my good buddy Rick from Cast Cray is able to come along, we may bring his big fancy RV he's got and, and find us a spot. But that is something that is currently in the works. Um, other than deer and turkey, I had an amazing duck season. Um, duck is another thing. It's, it's rough here in Ohio, but I did end up shooting several mallards. I had a great year when it come to mallards. Um, ended up with, I think four wood ducks. No teal though. There were no... I'm not sure why, but we did not see any teal. Um, we have a, a piece of private ground that we can hunt that is in southern Ohio. And there were no teal. We we usually get tons of teal come through there. But ended up with my first triple curl mallard. That was pretty exciting. He is uh, currently up at the taxidermist. Um, shout out to my good friend John over at American Taxidermist in Akron, Ohio. If you are in the Northern Ohio area or if you are just, you're in the Akron area and you're looking for a good taxidermist, look him up. Uh, he is a double amputation Marine Corps veteran. Um, and the work that this man does is just amazing. So, little little plug, little shout out to him. Um, he has all three of my birds. I've got a blue winged teal up there with him. I've got a hen uh, mallard up there with him, and that triple curl Jake, or that triple curl mallard, is up there with him. So, hopefully, I'll be getting those back soon, so I can take up even more space on my wall, which I am starting to run out of, but goose season, goose season was a little weird this year. Um, from everything I heard and everything I read, the, uh, the geese were, they were stuck in Michigan on our little, it's not much of one, but we do have a little bit of a flight line here in Ohio and the birds that coming down out of, out of Canada were all all hung up in Michigan. I think the weather just had them hung up there. They flew they flew south where it was comfortable and it stayed comfortable for a long time. It wasn't till the end towards the end the last week, maybe two weeks of the season, we were actually seeing birds other than local birds. Um and anybody who hunts geese and, and ducks, uh I'm sure they'll vouch for me that when you're hunting local birds, you get a, a week max before them birds are keyed in on to exactly what's going on. And if you know you, they see anything out of place, those local birds, they spend enough time in them water holes. They spend enough time throughout the spring and summer. They know exactly what's going on. So it was a little rough. Um, but we did have several... Several days where we did come away with some limits. Um, and then there were days where we'd come away with, you know, three, four with two hunters. And 
that's hunting, guys. That is why we do it. Um, every year, there's it seems like when it comes to hunting in general, there's a new challenge. And that is something that I personally enjoy quite a bit. You know, I I like learning new things and and trying to just be the best outdoorsman I can be and to know, try to anyway, nobody can know everything, but try to learn as much as I can about my craft and, and the things I love to do, you know. It can be difficult sometimes, but this is what, if you're listening to this podcast, then this is, this is what we love to do. Um, at the end of the day, the, the best thing we can do is to keep pushing on and, you know, it only takes a second for your season to turn around. So I had an amazing waterfowl season. Um, the bear hunt did not go the way we wanted to. Um, it was from what all the locals told us at the uh, local water hole up there, it was a bad, bad season. They had a hard frost that came in the early spring and knocked out a lot of the local or the wild food for the bear population up in the mountains and it pushed a lot of those bears towards the city where there's, you know, garbage cans, a lot of food. So we actually did not end up seeing a bear and and the weird part was we were in a very well hunted area. It was a uh, Little Pine State Park and we didn't even see anybody or even hear of anybody getting a bear up there this year. And that, I guess, was the weirdest thing to me. Just, you know, everybody that was hunting it, which there was a lot of people that were up there hunting, and nobody got one. So, I don't know how to take that. Um, it was definitely a new challenge. You do not see hills and mountains like that here in Ohio, and if you do, they're very few and far between. Um... I think the best aspect of it for me, personally, was just being up in the wilderness. There was no cell phone service. There was nothing. It was you, your rifle, and the mountain. And I'd, that, to me, that, that was just beautiful. Getting to watch the sunrise up over the mountains and and getting to see God's creation and all the colors that he planned for it, it was just, it was beautiful. Um, I will be posting a lot of pictures, a lot of just well, pictures on my Instagram. So feel free to head over to my Instagram and check that out. That is going to be Hunting Season Addiction. On Instagram, if you want to see all the pictures of my hunting season and pictures that we took from the bear trip, um, it was it was a it was a lifetime experience, and and we've got another one, not this year but next year that we would like to plan and do again. 
hopefully have a little bit better of a turnout. But um, I'm hoping to have my good friend Jay back on here for another episode uh, here shortly. He's He had a bit of a rough season himself, and I won't get into it because that's his business, and, and maybe that's some stuff that he would like to share on here. But... Uh, he he had a rough season himself, so I would like to get him back on here. And, and I think he, last I spoke to him, he'd like to get back on here. And he'd like to tell you guys about his season and, and the things that he's gone through this past year. Um, I have a lot of things planned for next deer season. But, you know, plans fall short sometimes. But we're going to do everything we can to push through and make it happen. We are going to be putting in some food plots for ourselves. And that's a whole new adventure for me. That is not something that I have done in the past. You know, I, I've always gone with the corn method. Some people like it, some don't. But at the end of the day, hunting is hunting. And I think I'm going to switch. I'm going to try to switch from just a bait pile of corn to actually planting a food plot that will help get these deer this deer herd a lot of nutrition and and not just sugar and calories to get them through the winter so we we are hoping we can improve the nutrition of the deer herd in our area um better nutrition equals bigger bucks and as a sportsman you know that's that's kind of what we're after we want to take those those mature deer you know those those ones that are hard to hunt that's the ones you always want to get so we're gonna upgrade some of our deer stands and, and things like that um once again you know doing all this i will be posting pictures on my instagram hunting season addiction please go over check it out look at all the pictures and and things that i share from from hunts and stories past and i i can't wait i got a couple people gonna be on here uh and we're gonna sit back and tell hunting stories you know and that's that's really what i want this podcast to be about i i want to share knowledge and, and share stories with everybody that that's willing to listen and that may not be a lot of people, but at the end of the day, you know, we're we're still sh- we're still sharing these stories and we're still passing on the knowledge. Um one thing one thing that I will say that I I regret I missed about hunting in the past was I started hunting after deer check-in stations here in Ohio. So, you know, back back when they still had the deer check stations, you shot your deer and you, you took it into this check station and you got you a a metal ear tag or a metal antler tag or whatever it was, you know, that, that was your tag. Um, and, you know, I, I listen to people sit around and they tell the stories of, of talking at the check deer check station, you know, sitting back, drinking coffee, sharing stories of their hunts. Uh, how they shot that buck or, or or anything in between and that's something that I uh, 
I regret that I wasn't around for. So that's kind of my hope on here. You know, I, I want this to be a podcast where you can wake up in the morning and if there's a new episode posted, you can brew a pot of coffee and, and sit back and start your day by listening to people share stories of their hunts. You know, I got this old boy. I, he's my duck hunting partner. His name's Frank. Frank doesn't own a cell phone. Frank is very, very old school. And one thing about Frank is he's got so many stories of, of hunting, duck hunting, goose hunting, deer hunting. You know, sitting in the duck blind with that man is just like a, taking a step back in time. That's the best way I can describe it. This man has a basement so full of decoys. He's probably got decoys back there from when Jesus was a duck hunter. You know, it's the stories and everything that he has to share. That's what I'm excited to share with you guys. Um, and once again, I I would like to apologize uh, to my listeners out there. I Like I said, I was going through a little bit of a mental health uh, dip and I just physically and, and emotionally I didn't feel like I had what it what it took to get on here and, and to share with you guys um, but I think I'm moving past that now I'm starting to I'm starting to get back into this and, and really hoping you guys enjoy it and it takes off um, kind of a shorter episode today, just because, you know, I don't want to burn through all my stories and, you know, not have stuff to share with you guys during the, uh, summer months when everybody's out preparing for the upcoming season and we're all, we're all itching and waiting to get in there and, you know, leaves to change, cool winds and that's what we all look forward to. So I think from this point on. I'm going to get on here at least once a week, and if it may be a short episode, it may be a short episode, but I'm going to share everything I can. Um, I have plans. I'm going to go down to North Carolina this year. Um, I'm going to hunt with a cousin of mine down there for uh, wild turkey. He says he's been on in the past couple years. He's got a nice area down there, and and I look forward to these these future hunts, these going out of state and and lands that I've never been in and, and woods that I've never seen and chasing these birds that I, I do here in Ohio along with other wild game. So stick with us, guys. Uh, and always remember to sit still, shoot straight, and we'll see you on the next one.